<clears throat> apart from protocol authors who we covered yesterday, the other big winners are exchanges. And it makes sense in a multi-coin world that exchanges are going to do extremely well as well. So it really seconds the thesis, and I really enjoyed this coverage from the economists who interviewed the leaders of the four big exchanges. In conventional finance, the most powerful players are bankers, payment firms, and asset managers. But crypto? It's a very different world with very different overlords. Bitcoin, the best money we've ever had. I'm getting into crypto with FTX. You in? So in this video, we're going to talk about how you can start making $100 per day using Coinbase. We're going to be using the Binance app to stake coins on Binance. Instead, power is concentrated in the hands of exchange owners, the platforms where people can buy and sell anything from Bitcoin to Mongoose coin. And while there are thousands of exchanges, at least as of right now, there are four you have to focus on. Binance, FTX, BitMEX and Coinbase. Our finance correspondent, Mathieu Favas, has been getting to know the personalities behind the platforms. Mathieu, welcome. Hi, Marcella. Now, you've written this absolutely fascinating story for our Christmas issue, looking at the, the four men who run these exchanges. What drew you to the story? Well, you know, the, the world of crypto is full of myth and heroes. And, and arguably, you know, some of the, the biggest myths and heroes are around the people who founded the biggest exchanges, the biggest businesses. And we know quite a lot about the businesses. We know some of the details around how they were created, but we know very little about who they are, you know, what motivates them, their aspirations, their ambitions. Uh, so I was really interested to, to find out more, to look under the hoodie of, of these people, so to speak. Your story focuses on these four kings of crypto. Who are they? So the four kings are Champagne Zhao, who goes by CZ. He runs Binance, the, the largest exchange. Then you have Sam Bankman-Fried, who's known at, as SBF in the trade. Uh, he runs the two-year-old challenger, FTX. He's only 29-year-old himself. Then you have the co-founder of BitMEX, Arthur Hayes, who pioneered some of the riskiest and most popular products in crypto. And the, the last one on our list is Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, uh, the only exchange that is listed and regulated in America, and America's biggest exchange. Now, why did you focus on these four exchanges? Well, when we say crypto, uh, it's really a catch-all word for a lot of different things. So, you know, cryptocurrencies, of course, the, the, the most famous crypto assets. But also you have uh, tokens that are not being used or, or meant to be used as currencies. You've got non-fungible tokens and a whole host of decentralized financial apps. Uh, so it's a big world. But if you look at it, a lot of it comes down to, to speculation, to trying to bet on the prices of some of these assets, say Bitcoin, for example, or Ethereum, the volume of derivatives that are being traded on exchanges. Derivatives are essentially bets on the future prices of uh, cryptocurrencies. It's a bit like if you were going to the, the horse races, you know, and you bet on a horse. You don't actually buy the horse, you bet on who's finishing the race first. And at the moment, the volume of trading of those derivatives far, far exceeds that of actual cryptocurrency transactions. And the cryptocurrencies and the derivative contracts are all traded on exchanges, which makes the exchange bosses the kings of this world, uh, even if crypto is theoretically about getting rid of middlemen. It's not often that we, that we delve into the personalities behind financial firms, but why is it in this case that the personalities are so important? Well, these personalities exert huge personal power over their, their brands. You know, they, they have cult followings, they have uh, created these big businesses, 
But also they've grown really rich doing so. So they've amassed multi-billion dollar fortunes, all of them, and massive influence over the course that the crypto world is taking. Quite a few of them actually write essays on the future of finance. Uh, and there does seem to be a bit of a formula as to how you become what they have become. But they do contrast also in important ways, which in themselves tell you quite a bit about what the future of crypto could look like and which of these firms could end up dominating it. So let's find out a little bit more about what it takes to be one of the most powerful people in crypto. Who are we going to meet first? So the hottest firm in crypto right now is indisputably FTX, uh, who's run by the 29-year-old Whisket, Sam Beckmatt-Fried. Uh, but everyone in the know calls him SBF. It's 7.30 right now, and, and you know it certainly isn't like the office is emptying out or anything. And in fact, some people are just getting in. A few weeks back, I got a virtual tour of their Hong Kong office, uh, and you have to picture it like it's high finance meeting teen cows with a relentless work ethic. So there's pretty big variance in how many and which hours people work. There are still people here on weekends. I'm usually here. And so, you know, all over the place, but on average, people do work reasonably hard. Like most trading floors, uh, you know, you can see desks with six screens each. Uh, you've got neon lit keyboards, uh, but down on them, you know, you've got guitars, badminton shuttles, booze, takeaway boxes. It's, it's, it's a bit chaotic. And then you've got big posters of SBF uh, on the wall as the king of clubs or Uncle Sam leading troops in the trenches. So I asked SBF, you know, when it was exactly that he knew that this was the army he wanted to lead. It was really when, when crypto was kind of going crazy in late 2017, enough so that sort of everyone was talking about crypto then. It was hard not to be. But when others were getting swept up in that excitement, the way he talks about it sounds uh, a bit more calculated. I sort of saw it from the outside as an area that just based on the things that you could see that were going on was pretty likely to have a lot of the properties of a field where there were really good trades to do. This was essentially an opportunity to do good business. It really quickly became clear that the exchanges were a completely central an important part of the industry. And it also quickly became clear that they were not really up to task. FTX is only two years old, but it's stealing market share from its more established rivals and no consistently ranks in the top four. I still didn't know when, when I started up FTX if it was going to work. And in particular, I didn't know if we were going to figure out how to get customers and how to, how to you know build out a brand. But I felt pretty good about our ability to build a good product. In October, FTX was valued at $25 billion, up more than a quarter in just a few months, and just a bit more than SBF's personal estimated net worth. But for all his billions, he lives remarkably simply. He shares a flat with friends from a previous job, uh, but he doesn't have a lot of time to spend there. Yeah, my hours are completely insane. You know, I, I think my last call is at 5 a.m. tonight or something like that. People who work with SBF refer to him as a human hurricane, capable of handling extraordinary details while juggling many things. I tend to be pretty hands-on, not always as hands-on as I'd ideally like to be. As the business grows, it gets harder to keep up with everything, but I try my best to, to really dig in and get my hands dirty. And from our conversation, it seems like work-life balance doesn't really exist when you run a crypto empire. I'll sleep odd hours. I'll just sort of like, you know, rest whenever seems appropriate and whenever I, I have a gap in my schedule. You know, I tend to work you know, the majority of the time, you know, and say exactly always, but I, I don't really take days off exactly and fairly sort of erratic hours. Do you still consider there is a, you know, a daytime and a nighttime? Uh, is, is your day structured in 
that way? So yes, but but less strongly. In fact, when I, when I was in quarantine for a couple of weeks because of, of travel, I decided not to uh, actually not draw my blinds to keep them closed the whole time. Uh, partially, I just didn't want to FOMO about sort of the outside world. Um, and, and so, you know, for that whole time, like there was no effective notion of daytime or nighttime for me. You know, it was entirely just the time when these colleagues are up versus the time when these other colleagues are up. Yeah. And I suppose meals, meals are the same, right? Uh, breakfast or dinner, that doesn't really yep. mean anything. It's not a huge difference other than, you know, which, uh, which restaurants are open for delivery when. Well, it sounds like running an exchange is a 24-hour-a-day operation. It's something I, I certainly can never do. So FTX came on the scene only two years ago. Who are the major players that SBF is challenging? Well, the biggest crypto exchange of all is Binance, run by Champagne Zhao, otherwise known as CZ. He's a very interesting, uh, secretive kind of guy. Uh, he has a you know, very different life to SBF, uh, Canadian Chinese, the son of, uh, of a professor who fled the, the Cultural Revolution in China. Uh, and he told me about it and, and his dream of achieving financial freedom as a second generation immigrant. I think that probably helped a lot to the Binance story, to be honest. I was born in China, immigrant to Canada, working in Japan, working in New York, working in Shanghai, Singapore, Hong Kong. Every time I lived in a different country, when I had to do currency conversions, it would cost me like, you know, three, five percent. So I think through those experiences, uh, it allowed myself to understand that currencies are very local. At 44, is the oldest of the four but it's still too young to have ridden the dot-com bubble of the 90s. He wasn't going to let this opportunity pass by. I think when I come across Bitcoin, that was 2013, that was eight years ago, I was like 35. I have like, you know, 10, 15 years of experience in financial space, in the IT space. Um, I did start a couple of startups. And when I come across Bitcoin, I was like, this is the future. This, this is absolutely the future. This is a new technology. This is going to change the world. What internet did to information, blockchain, Bitcoin is going to do to finance. And I'm 35, not too old, not too young. I can catch this uh, and I want to jump in. So I actually left my job without having a job offer. I just want to be in the space and figure out what I can do. That conviction has only increased. I'm more convinced than, than ever. So if eight years ago uh, I was convinced, Today, I'm 100x more convinced. The user numbers keep growing. The number of applications keep growing. Entrepreneurs can raise money in crypto all around the world. So the thing I judge about the industry is not so much the coin price, it's the number of users. The number of users are continually increasing. Like SBF, it doesn't flash its cash. Uh, no, I don't own a bike. I don't own a car. I do have a scooter. Uh, <laughs> it's a um, uh, $200 thing. Uh, so maybe $150 US scooter. That's a friend of mine gave it to me for like a second hand. You know, I, I go to like coffee shops around me, etc. So it's very handy in Singapore. He lives in a rented flat. So I have my bed and my desk in one room. <laughs> In fact, his wealth is all held in cryptocurrencies with just a few thousand dollars in cash to pay for near-term expenses. So I don't spend on like, you know, luxury cars, luxury, uh, you know, stuff like that. I'm a gadget guy. So I buy a lot of gadgets. I buy like, you know, every, every new cell phone that's, that's out, cameras, drones, not super cheap, not super expensive, you know, a couple hundred dollars, a couple thousand dollars here and there. 
Um, but I'm not into like super expensive stuff. Yeah. Um, but I do have like five or six phones sitting on my desk. It's hard enough to keep track of one phone. Keeping track of where all your six phones are is quite the feat. <laughs> but um, has Binance always been the dominant exchange? What came before it? Sure. So, so SBF right now is biting at the heels of CZ. But CZ, you know, himself, actually three years ago, only three years ago, dethroned Arthur Hayes, the boss of BitMEX. Um, and Hayes is the only one of the four I didn't get to speak to in person, uh, regrettably. Is uh, is been charged in America with anti-money laundering failings uh, and is awaiting trial. So he declined to take part and he denies wrongdoing. But uh, I did get to talk to uh, quite a few people who know him, who work closely with them, or friends of them. And he's a really interesting character. He's basically quite a bit different from, I suppose, the three others in that his background uh, differs. He is the son of parents who worked in manufacturing, uh, as opposed to, I suppose, more intellectual professions for, for, for the three others. But like SBF, you know, that did not prevent him from cutting his teeth on Wall Street. Uh, he started as an investment banker, which, you know, is somewhat ironic for someone who know is trying to challenge traditional finance. BitMEX itself, it is not the oldest of uh, the four exchanges, as though started quite recently. But the way it became famous was by pioneering the riskiest and, and, and most popular derivatives in crypto. The particular product that BitMEX pioneered is called Perpetual Swap. It's essentially betting on the future price of, uh, of a cryptocurrency via a contract that never expires. Uh, and the reason it was popular is because, first, you don't have to buy the cryptocurrency itself, uh, which in some ways it's easier. But also, the exchange offered 100x leverage. You could put uh, $10,000 in your uh, account uh, and you could make a place a $1 million bet uh, on the exchange. So that, of course, got a lot of people very excited. Now, because this products are really risky. They're not actually available or supposed to be available to American investors, for example. And that's plus, I guess, Ace Lifestyle, which we will talk about in a minute, means that he has attracted the uh, the wrath of American regulators. But aren't some people pointing to other reasons why he might have attracted particular attention from regulators? Well, the supporters argue that, you know, this sort of attention is, is been getting is basically the price for being the first mover at a time when there weren't really rules governing crypto. Uh, so basically, it did not break them because they were not there. Some even argue that the financial establishment felt threatened by him because he's a successful black man who doesn't mean his words. But definitely, he has this this, this sort of uh, high-octane James Bond lifestyle. He's charming, he's muscular, uh, he's good on TV, he's a self-styled visionary. He's known to have arrived to conferences in an orange Lamborghini. He kitted up the office of BitMEX in Hong Kong with a giant aquarium with live sharks in it. Uh, so he's definitely a very colourful character. So we've got Arthur Hayes at BitMEX, CZ, who runs the dominant Binance, and the young pretender Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, at FTX. Let's talk about the fourth of these giants, Coinbase, run by Brian Armstrong. Coinbase is probably the one that most people might have heard of because it went public on the Nasdaq back in April. Yes, yeah, so Coinbase is the only one of the four that is listed and regulated in the US. Uh, the others are all incorporated and headquartered abroad. Uh, FTX in the Bahamas, Binance in the Cayman Islands, BitMEX in the Seychelles. So not only abroad, but actually pretty far from the US. And in terms of character and style, Brian Armstrong is about as far from the showmanship of Ace uh, as you can get. I was basically a huge nerd, you know, to put it <laughs> bluntly. I was like, 
I was interested in reading books. I was interested in playing with computers. I didn't have that many friends. I had like, I had like maybe two close friends. I didn't feel confident speaking up or anything like that. You know, in some ways, I'm, I'm really the same person. I kind of like being an introvert. I guess the big thing I would say is that for many years as a younger person, I had this kind of self-doubt. I was like, well, I don't think I could ever be the CEO of a company because in my mind, that's not what CEOs were like. They were like these generals who were barking orders to everybody, super extroverted and super confident. And some CEOs are that. But what I didn't realize at the time was that there's many different kinds of CEOs. You can basically be any kind of CEO you want. Uh, and in fact, some of the best ones are introverts. It took me a long time to kind of become comfortable with that. Like CZ, Armstrong was converted to crypto by the idea of borderless, frictionless finance. I had worked at Airbnb as an early engineer And they were trying to move money to 190 countries around the world to collect payments from people and pay out hosts and things like that. And I just got a, kind of had a front row seat to see how inefficient the global payment systems were. And so I had this sort of visceral sense when I first read the Bitcoin white paper that this could be a better mechanism. Wow, this could be something as impactful as the internet, a new global decentralized protocol for moving value around instead of moving information around. And I just basically couldn't stop thinking about it for months and months. And it captured my attention in a really powerful way. I started playing around with, with Bitcoin. My initial thought was, okay, this protocol is really powerful. It's really interesting, but it's way too difficult to use for the average person. So how I wasn't really even thinking of it as like an exchange or a payment system or a wallet. I was more just thinking like, how can we make this much more easy to use? And then also how do we make it trusted? And that issue of trust is, is crucial. It's what Armstrong believes will give Conveys an edge. And it's quite different from you know, the sort of iconoclastic attitude uh, of many of his peers. I was going to these Bitcoin meetups with some of the early crypto people. Their general view was kind of like a crypto anarchy or something like that. And they were like, well, F the banks and F the government and everything. We're just going to go build our own thing. My view, having worked at Airbnb and started a business previously and all these things, I was like, that's never going to work. Coinbase took a very different approach. You know, I was putting on a suit and going to meet with the local regulators in California and then federally and bank partners. You know, we wanted to make it easy to get people to get fiat money into crypto and into Coinbase as well. That approach has shaped Coinbase's development, but there's no doubt it has also cost them. I can tell you it was enormously... You know, it was painful at times for us to watch what competitors were doing and say, why do they have another hundred assets? They listed another hundred assets on their platform or margin trading at like 30x leverage or like these things that we said, you know, we don't think that that's legal to launch in the US. But Armstrong says he's playing the long game. I think in terms of decades about how this industry is going to be evolved and how people are going to adopt this technology, because I knew that if we didn't actually go reach out to regulators and educate them about this and eventually get it to be licensed and, and regulated, that it would never go mainstream. And it's that final bit that's really crucial to the next chapter of crypto. Uh, you know, regulation is coming over the horizon, uh, but the form it takes and how these four guys and the companies react to it is going to determine the next phase of the crypto universe and how it shapes the future of finance. <laughs> 